0: You're listening to The Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. I've known Kevin for a long time. He's been doing incredible work. Um we have a missionary in our denomination, which is called uh, the Free Methodist, and it's him, and his job isn't to go plant churches. His job solely is to focus on something that our denomination has been about since the beginning, which is the abolition of human beings. We, have, uh, we started because we wanted the slaves to be free, and so we continued that work, and, and through him, through his work. Uh, He's continued to do that not only through education of churches, but on the ground, boots on the ground, creating homes for people. Uh, I mean, he's just doing incredible work. And so I can't wait for you to hear from him. Uh, This is Dr. Kevin Austin of the Set Free Movement. Come on forward. And we're going to let you. Yeah, thanks. I think I should be on. Am I on? You're on. I'm on. Yeah. If you want to bring the, can you bring the slideshow up for me? It's the next one, yep. Whatever the next one is. you good. Man. Thank you. Hey, good to be with you this morning. Um, just a couple of introductory comments before I start. Um, uh, I have a table out in the back with some information on it. If I, I think I was here, we were trying to remember, like, when was I here last? It was either two or three years ago. It might have been three years ago. But if you don't have these materials, we'd love for you to pick them up. We have a prayer card so you can pray uh, with us because we want this to be a movement of prayer. And then also there's an info card with a bunch of next steps on the back because I really need about eight hours with you. Because there's just so much to talk about, um, and of course, you know, I can't, I can't cover everything in the short amount of time, short amount of time that we have. Um, so, as James was saying, um, we've been celebrating, or we've been part, uh, observing Freedom Sunday for 12 years, and um, and we have, um, we've raised uh, a little over a million dollars, and we've launched 25 different freedom projects. And so this morning um, we're doing Freedom Sunday here, and I want to I want to talk to you about the different um, projects that we're featuring this year. But also um, it's a it's a message. It's it's an actual sermon. So we are going to look at scripture and talk about how does this all relate to the mission of God. Um, And just to just to give you uh, just kind of another another introductory comment, um, I've been a Christian my whole life. I was baptized when I was seven and um, went to Christian college, went to seminary, was involved in ministry for a long time. I've read the book of Exodus uh, thousands of times. I've watched the movies, and yet uh, I'm, reading, I'm reading the Bible. I'm studying some things, and something jumped out at me I'd never seen before, and it's what I want to share with you this morning, and it's about the power of five women that when we think about exodus and we think about freedom, we think about the exodus from slavery, from Egypt into the promised land, we think of Moses. But Moses would not exist without five women. Moses' mother, two midwives who were simply doing their jobs. They're simply doing their jobs. A young girl, Moses' older sister, And you wouldn't expect this, a wealthy, privileged woman who's not even Hebrew, an Egyptian princess. Without those five women, there would be no Moses. And so I want to look at um, Exodus chapter, see if I I click this button right here, it goes, oh, there we go. Just a little bit of a delay. So this is in Exodus chapter 1. And um, I don't have the scripture for Exodus chapter 2, but I will, I will refer to it. So in Exodus chapter 1, I just want to read this. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew, and I'm going to point out some things as I go. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shipra and Pua. Now stop right there. The king of Egypt isn't named. He's the most powerful person in the world, and he's not even named. But the lowly Hebrew midwives are given names. That right there is significant, that the emphasis is going to be on these two women. So the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do they let the boys live now up until this point this is like i wish we had a lot more time but you can go back you can read this you can read the passage up until this verse in verse 17 god is not mentioned god is completely silent so i mean you know the story joseph is sold into slavery joseph is a victim of human trafficking joseph is sold into slavery Then eventually, all the Israelites move up into Egypt because there's this incredible famine. And then Joseph dies, and years go by, and a pharaoh, pharaohs come, and they don't remember Joseph, and they enslave the Israelites. And for something like 400 years, God has been silent. And God is silent in the beginning of this passage until this verse so that's also really significant because Shipra and Pua are not being told by God what to do. They're simply doing the right thing. Like they know what to do and what not to do. They know about the value of a human life. They don't need to be told. So they're just they're simply doing the right thing. So Shipra and Pua, um, they... Um, so, so uh, let's see, where, where am I at? Uh, the, the, verse 17, the, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. Then the king of, e- of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the, the midwives arrive. <laughs> you just got to see this. You just got to see this. These two lowly midwives are in the presence of the most powerful person on the planet. And, and, and this, is in, this is in English, obviously, but it's written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, the words are really powerful. They don't just resist the Pharaoh. They actively resist him. They're not just like, well, let's just try to sneak this by let's just let's just try to deceive him a little bit no they're they're standing up to pharaoh this is the powerless confronting the powerful Verse 20, so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people, every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now, verse, uh, chapter 2 begins with Moses' mother giving birth, and when the child is three months old, she places him in an ark. That's the Hebrew word. That's the word used for the basket. It's an ark. And she floats the ark on the water. Isn't that cool? Now, in the the Noah story, the the main point of the Noah story, and we don't have time to go into this, but the main point of of the Noah story is that God remembers Noah. And at the end of chapter 2, God remembers the Hebrews. There's this this powerful connection between Noah and the ark and Moses and the deliverance of God's people. So Moses is floating in an ark on the Nile, and his big sister is watching him, and the Egyptian princess comes down to the Nile, and she says, oh, that must be a Hebrew boy. So she's going to defy her father. And Miriam confronts the princess at the Nile, a little girl talking to a wealthy, privileged, powerful woman, the daughter of the Pharaoh. Now later, Moses will confront the Pharaoh at the Nile. This is really like I hope that you're like grasping the power of this, that um, that these five women. Are working for good whether they know it or not whether God has commanded them or not these five women are working for the good of what's going to happen later on what difference does it make to save one baby boy so I could have titled this sermon go women go because it's all about it's all about the power of these incredible women and you know they're not they're not uh, un, unusual um, in that there are other there are other powerful women in the world. This isn't working for some reason, James. Okay, you got it. Thanks. Um, so I want to I want to use this verse as kind of the back the backdrop of uh, of talking about some other powerful women. Now this is Felicia on the left, the short one with the elephant uh, print uh, top, and that's Vicky. And um, they're right here in California. So Felicia's in Watsonville, Vicky's in Turlock. And there was just this run, and I see some people have the run t-shirts on. Yeah, there you go. Because you did the virtual run, right? That's what you did, yeah, great. So um, Felicia in, tw- in 2019 went into the public high schools and educated 6,000 students about human trafficking. This was before COVID. But now that schools have, have reopened again, it's like if you're, if you're on her Facebook feed, oh, there she is again. She's back in the schools again. So she started back up again, going into the schools, into the schools. And then there's Vicky, Vicky who has organized this run for freedom. And then this is Yvonne on the right. And Yvonne is part of a group in Kenya called Thrive. Let me just tell you about Thrive. So um, um, our free Methodist missionary, uh, Vicky, was there. And she gathered all these young Kenyan women together. And they started a Bible study, and it was called Thrive. And as these young women are starting to get to know each other, and they're reading God's Word together, and they're praying together, they, they learn that every single one of them had something in common, and that, that's that every single one of them had been sexually assaulted. And that that is common and accepted and ordinary in Kenyan society. But they're reading the Bible, and they're praying together, and they're learning from each other, and they said, this is not okay. This is, this is not okay. We need to do something about this. So that Bible study group became a social justice warrior women's group, and now they travel around Kenya, and this is a picture of Yvonne, who has just uh, completed uh, a training for these young girls talking about domestic violence. Talking about gender-based violence, talking about human trafficking. So this is what the Thrive ladies do. They go around uh, different, part, particularly around Nairobi, because that's where they're based. But they are growing and doing more and more and more education of these of these young women. So that's really cool. Let's go ahead and do the next slide. So, um, and this is all this is all detailed in your bulletin insert that you've got there. Um, You can look at these projects, and you can find out more online, but I just want to tell you about them. So there's Felicia again, the short one in the front. She's, I don't know how tall she is. She's like 5'2", and just like the most powerful person on the planet. Um, So uh, down in Monterey Bay, uh, Felicia and Chris have been working tirelessly for years and years and years and years, probably about 10 years now, educating lots of, lots of uh, people in the school system. But then they connected with these other people and um, they've started to reach out to women involved in prostitution in the area. And, and now their big vision is let's have a home. Let's have a home for we- women who've been rescued out of human trafficking because these women need hope and healing. And um, we launched a Freedom Sunday project about seven years ago called Eden's Glory in Illinois which now has helped about 30 women find hope and healing, and, um, and they are coaching Set Free Monterey Bay. So it's, it will be our second home that we are helping to launch to help women uh, recover as much as they can from the tragedy of human trafficking. So go to the next slide. So I told you about the Thrive Girls. Well, they're doing something else. One of the things that we, that we um, learned, uh, through the process of all of this um, action in the world and connecting with others, um, we learned that there's a, there's a real significant problem with, it, with a lot of young women in the world that um, they don't go to, some of them can't go to school for uh, a week out of every month, and then they end up dropping out, and then they become even more vulnerable to human trafficking. So we want to keep girls in school. And we want to we emphasize the dignity and the value of every girl. And so we're partnering with Seed Livelihood Group, International Child Care Ministries, the Set Free Movement, Thrive Ladies, Two Mini Women, and the Free Methodist World Missions. That's six organizations coming together to create this program called Wonders. Seed is giving it the, the leadership, but what it is, is we are creating, uh, we've created a kit. Uh, a, a menstrual health kit that um, is actually uh, good for uh, two to three years. And for the price of about $35, every girl gets this kit. And um, it's got all sorts of, all sorts of, of, of things in it that they, that they need. But in addition to that, uh, the Thrive ladies are going around, and as they're distributing the kit... Then they've got this whole curriculum that they're doing about gender-based violence, about human trafficking, about how every one of those young women are, are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God and nobody has a right to control them, to use them, to abuse them, uh, to buy them, to sell them, and to encourage them to stay in school. So we see this as a really powerful preventative work. So you know, the Sephri Monterey Bay is aftercare, but we want to prevent human trafficking uh, to begin with. We want to prevent it. We want to stop it. So, the other, the other project, and I just came from this area, um, was in Jackson, Michigan, my place. And our, this was our, our oldest team. Our team in Jackson, Spring Arbor, Michigan is 11 years old because the Sephri movement is 12 years old. So, they started right like right away, our very first leader. And they spent, they, they did the Set Free Movement process, they prayed, they learned, they dialogued, they networked, they got out, they started serving, they started, you know, and they're learning while they're serving, they're praying while they're serving, on and on. And um, they got involved with the Boys and Girls Club. They started going into high schools, doing education. They went to conferences. They connected with social workers, just serving anywhere and everywhere that they could. And they started to, to ask, well, what specifically should we do? And they thought, well, we should have a home for, for women because that's what Eden's Glory did. And God said, no, there's already one. There is already a home. So they thought, okay, so we, we won't do that they thought, well, maybe we'll do this mentorship program. That didn't work very well. And then the more they learned, the more they, 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 they went out into the neighborhood, the more they realized that, oh, my goodness, Jackson, Michigan, has the highest homeless youth population of any other place in Michigan. Like, there are all these kids living on the streets. Like, why? And where do these kids come from? We'll come to find out, they're almost all um, out of the foster care system. They've all dropped out of the foster care system or they've, they've, they've aged out and most of them had money for rent, but nobody would rent to them because who wants to rent to a 17-year-old who's been doing drugs, 17-year-old that maybe has been arrested, 17-year-old who maybe hasn't graduated from high school, who may have been involved in gangs, whatever. So they said, oh, that's exactly what we should do. Like, let's create a home for, to get these kids off the streets because those kids are incredibly vulnerable. Now, James on Facebook was trying to, he was kind of grasping at the quote, so I'll give it to you because it's kind of a difficult quote to kind of wrap your brain around. Nope, it's not that slide. You can go back. Um, it's that um, of those involved in prostitution in the United States, depending on the state, between 60 and 90 percent were at one time foster kids. So among those, I'll just say that again, among those that are in prostitution in the United States, between 60 and 90% of them at one time were foster kids. So foster kids come from an an incredible place of brokenness. And the systems, as good as they might try, they're just not adequately, adequately able to do what needs to be done to help to help the foster kids. And too many of them end up on the streets. They end up uh, doing survival sex. Not, that's kind of a type of prostitution, but it's not a necessarily a human trafficking related one. They're just trying to survive. They get tricked, they get forced, they get coerced, on and on and on. So, so anyway, so this team spent, you know, like 11 years part of the Set Free Movement. They spent about eight years before they, 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 they grabbed onto this idea. And then just to show you the power of, of what God is doing, we announced in uh, February of 2020 that we were going to launch a home for women. I mean, a, a home for young women to get them off the streets. So this is a home for young teens, you know, homeless teens in Jackson, get them off the streets. We announced that in February 2020. But they had spent eight years making connections. So once they announced it and we had the business plan, people started throwing them money. And then the Jackson Interface Shelter said, oh, by the way, we have a whole bunch of homes that we own. And we will um, rent you one, but it needs to be remodeled. But we will in essence, pay you hourly and just take that off the rent. So volunteers came in, they spent months, you know, renovating this home, and now they've got a year and a half's worth of rent. They don't have to pay rent for a year and a half. And lawyers and social workers and business leaders and religious leaders just, just threw themselves into this. So we announced it in February, 2020, and we opened the home. In February 2021, and um, and they've got five young women in their home now. I was just there just a couple days ago, um, and it's a it's a their 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 end of the year financial campaign, uh, which I think is brilliant. Is they're they're going to talk about moving from a house to a home. That they've been working on getting this house established, all the systems, get it, you know, remodeled, get the girls in there. But now they want it to be not just a house, but a home. This next slide uh, is one of the one of the. Uh <coughs> One of the board members, Trish, said this. As a teenager in the early 1980s, I was aging out of the foster care system and there was no place like this for me. I was quite literally on my own. I was leaving the security of a foster home and entering the adult world with very few resources and little life experience. It was like entering a dark tunnel with no light at the end. I see my place as a light not at the end but at the beginning of the tunnel. I think that is, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, so this Freedom Sunday, we've got these three projects that we want to rally people around. Um, my Place, helping, helping teenagers get off the streets. Wonders helping provide the health care uh, packets for young girls, keep them in school, and give them the, the education that they need to, so that they can be protected. And then Set Free Monterey Bay. So those are the three projects that we're looking at. And all three of them, I mean, not to leave out the guys. I'm a guy, so I don't want to leave myself out. And I don't want to leave out you men in the room. But you know what? All three of those are being championed and powered by women. Like incredible women that are, um, in essence, like and Pua. They don't need God to tell them what to do. They already know what they should do. But they're following God into the darkness. They're following God into the darkness, and they're standing up against great evil in our society. Now, if you go to this next slide, I want to talk for just a couple minutes. I don't know, James, if you've talked about the Free Methodist way at all. Coming. Okay, it's coming. It's, a, it's coming. So I'm am I'm, I'm jumping I'm jumping over James. Sorry, man. I'm I'm stealing some of your thunder. Um, so the Free Methodist Church. Uh, I don't know when it was, maybe six months ago, nine months ago, they published what I thought was a really helpful um, five different things that characterize the Free Methodist Church. Um, and, and I won't go into all of them, but one of them is love-driven justice. And I, I find this really helpful, and so I want, I want to share this with you. Love is the way we demonstrate God's heart for justice by valuing the image of God in all men, women, and children, acting with compassion toward the oppressed, resisting oppression, and stewarding creation. We devote ourselves to our founders' deep convictions around matters of injustice as they took their stand against the evils of slavery, the oppression of the poor, the marginalization of women, and the abuse of power in the church. I think that's interesting that they added that uh, power, you know, against the abuse of power in the church. Our heart for justice continues and expands today, fueled by God's holy love for the unborn, the vulnerable, oppressed, marginalized, and people of all races and ethnicities. The free Methodist way is not only to realize a better society, but that all may be reconciled to God and one another in ways that reflect God's just character. That's awesome, but it's too many words. So this next slide shows you my rewrite. My rewrite is, if seeking justice begins with seeking the God of justice, let me just talk about that for a second. We don't begin to seek justice at the door of the brothel. We don't begin to seek justice by helping uh, teenagers on the streets. We begin by seeking the God of justice. It begins with God. And it's centered on Jesus. It's not centered on us. It's too easy for social justice warriors to get off track, to think, oh, we've got to do this. Oh, man, like there's this, this incredible need in our society. There's this incredible injustice. And we can just go off and just be activists, 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 and leave God out of it. But seeking justice begins with seeking the God of justice. So, if seeking justice begins with seeking the God of justice, and if God is love, then all we do should be characterized by love. It's that simple. Everything we do should be characterized by love. And that's a good check for us. Like, if we're angry, it's not anger driven justice, it's love driven justice. And this next slide peels back the layers. It's not shame-driven. It's not should-driven justice. It's like, oh, well, we should serve the poor. It's like I was just in uh, Wayne County, uh, New York about a month and a half ago. And I was staying with a friend who, uh, who lives right next to an apple orchard. And we went out into the apple orchards. And um, that's where Mott's, Mott's is, is, uh, is based in, in, in that area, in Wayne County, New York. So I mean, there's just apples everywhere. So we went through the we went through the apple orchard, and there's these, it's an incredible bumper crop this year. So you got these, these uh, branches with like 30 ginormous apples on them. They're just like overflowing with apples. Huge apples. The apple tree does not say, oh, I should grow apples. The apple tree just naturally grows apples. Christians should just naturally, we just naturally love. We naturally uh, are, are drawn to holiness. We naturally are people of community. We're naturally involved. It's not, well, we should, we should, we should. No, it's, this is who we are. And if we're not, then we need to look at ourselves and ask, why aren't we naturally producing good works? Why aren't we naturally loving with, you know, with no shame and and no shoulding. So it's not should-driven justice. It's not I'll get around to it later, driven justice. (laughs) It's not I'll let the government fix it. You know, that's not going to happen, right? Or it's the blank's fault, fill in the blank, why should I bother? Or I'm just one person, I can't do anything, and I'm just a sinner anyway. we just come up with all sorts of excuses. But the the... The, the, the illustrations that I, I want to give us, and I, and I hope it's encouraging, is that there was nothing supernaturally um, awesome about Shipra and Pua and Miriam. They were just human beings doing what human beings do. Miriam was watching her brother. And uh, Shipra and Pua were just doing their jobs. And Yvonne in Kenya is simply, simply following up on where God is leading her. And the people who've started Sephri Monterey Bay and and my place, and the people that are that are driving the Wonders program, they're they're simply doing their their jobs. They're simply acting out their faith. They're not superstars. And all of us can do this because all of us are called, and all of us have gifts, all of us are chosen. So all of us have a role to play, whether it's writing a check, praying a prayer, loving your neighbor, forgiving your enemy. I mean, it's simple things, or it's really complex, hard things like starting a nonprofit. You know, one of the things I I like to, uh, and it's good to be a guest speaker because I can walk out and you won't see me again for another year or two, and James has to clean up whatever mess I say now. But, um, you know, the, the, the... The thing I would say to those who are watching online is that you might have good reasons for watching online, but it's an abolitionist act to say, I'm going to get up out of my comfort, and I'm going to walk away from consuming and from comfort, and I'm going to come into church. Simply by coming here today, all of you have declared that you're free. Nobody has stopped you from coming today. Nobody has forced you to work today. So simply by being here is an abolitionist act. You're declaring we are a free people. And so I would just gently challenge and invite all of you who are watching online that you need to come into this space. You need to give up your comfort. You need to walk away from your your homes. You need to come out of your consumerism. And you need to come into church and surrender yourselves to God. So this next slide... um, shows, and we won't look at this passage today, but I would encourage you to go to it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21 is this incredibly powerful prayer where the author says that we have power three times. We have power together with all the saints. We have power to know the love of Jesus. And then there's that verse that all of us know, which says God can do more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. So the author of, of, of Ephesians is driving home this point that we have this incredible power as we are in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we live in the power of the resurrection. It's, it's love-driven, hope-infused, community-oriented, spirit-led, Christ-centered, joy-filled, transformational power. And we need to, to put away our excuses and say, oh, yeah, you know what, I can do something. I can do at least one thing today. Camille is a, is a good example. Look at her. She's just filled, filled with joy. And um, just give you a short, the short version of Camille, so um, um, we are launching a new program next year called Fostering Hope to help foster kids, foster families, social workers, and we're modeling it off of what Camille is doing in Seattle. So this team learned that when a child's taken out of, foster, out of a home, out of a broken home, they're brought into a foster care facility and they're sat right next to the social worker in the social worker's cubicle while the social worker is trying to place that child. How traumatic is that? So this team and the church said, let's go. So they went and they talked to the social workers and they said, do you have a room we can remodel and, and bring in some, some comfortable furniture and some toys and books? And they said, yeah. So the church, at no cost to the King County foster care facility, um, remodeled a, a room. And then they created a hotline so that when a child's taken out, the hotline kicks in, and there's somebody there to greet the child when the child arrives. And they take the child into the room, and they love on them, and they read to them until they're placed and then once a month, there's a free dinner at the church for foster families. So that foster families can learn, because uh, they have to. They, there's ongoing education for foster parents. And then they have a, a one-year conference every year called Brave for young girls. So they can spend a whole day playing games and learning and being inspired and getting their hair done and winning gifts, gift cards and all sorts of things. And, and, and then the latest thing that Camille has done, and again, there's this theme that these kids are aging out of foster care. They're either ending up in, in the streets, or in the case of Seattle, they're ending up in an apartment, and they don't have anything. Nothing. So Camille has got all the old people in the church giving her all of their stuff. And so when somebody ages out of foster care, and they end up in an apartment, they come and they see camille and they pick out the dishes they want and the bedding they want and they get this box of cleaning supplies and the cleaning supplies have a note in it and it says uh, welcome to your new home here's some supplies we're here to answer any question you've got your loving church family wow now, Camille has some wild ideas. Now, before COVID, she wanted to bring all those young people into the state-of-the-art kitchen and have people teach, teach them how to cook. And then Arnie Brand, who is with the Free Methodist Foundation, wants to sit down with all these young people individually and help them to know how to do a budget. How do you spend money? Because they've got no idea. Camille has this really crazy idea. She wants to start a driving school because none of them know how to drive. Like, I'm not doing that meal like i'm not going to volunteer for that in seattle like no way but it's incredible Uh, you know and and one of the things that she told me uh, the other thing that they do is they give all the social workers fair trade chocolates on valentine's day and they give them gift cards at christmas they love on the social workers and um, when I was just with her a couple months ago, she said that they gave out 60 um, sets of fair trade chocolates to the social workers last Valentine's Day. And, um, and so just incredible holistic work that's going on. And the joy that's on her face, uh, I think, just tells it all. There's just this incredible joy, this incredible witness as well. Um, so she's Reverend Camille Pook. At First Free Methodist Church, where James and Aaron used to serve many, many years ago, and uh, James knows Camille, I'm sure, um, but Camille is on uh, phone calls with these social workers and ha- is having this just an incredible witness about the love of Jesus, incredible witness. Uh, this next slide shows you this is what Facebook is for: is to rip off things that are really cool, either really cool pictures or really cool sayings. And I love what this 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 woman said. Uh, Jesus didn't ask to be led into people's hearts. He told them to follow him, dedicating his life to the most vulnerable in society. Following Jesus wasn't a call to a private piety disconnected from society. Following Jesus was relational, social, and it involved justice. And, you know, I'm of an age that I gave my heart to Jesus when I was seven, but Jesus doesn't just want my heart. He wants my hands and my head and my pocketbook and my relationships, and he wants my heart. He wants, my, he, he wants me to, to, to be transformed and then be a transforming presence in our society. Um, and this is a real call to us that we need to follow him. My wife and I have this ongoing language battle that she describes herself as a believer. And I just say, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to describe myself as a believer because you can believe anything and not do anything. But I, I describe myself as a follower, and I have to believe first. Believing first then makes me a follow. Then, then I follow. Um, so it's not just enough to believe. It's not just enough to invite Jesus into your heart. You also need to actually move your feet and go out into the society. Okay, I think we're winding down here. What's the next slide? Ah, that's the end of the, the end of the the uh, the message. So every prayer matters and every penny counts just would encourage you to pray for us. Encourage you to pray about these things. Pray for Set Free Monterey Bay. I mean, I'm hoping there's going to be a home there two years from now. I'm hoping that you're going to hear that, wow, the Set Free movement helped us start a home in Monterey Bay. And, and you know, there's 10 women getting help there, or there's five women getting help there. I mean, we want we want that to happen, and we need to be I just would invite you, encourage you to pray about those things. Uh, and then I would also encourage you that if you have um, the means to do so, give. Give financially so that we can accomplish these goals. Because this, is, this takes significant amounts of money. Significant amounts of money to do what we're doing. And so I uh, would encourage you to do that. And uh, what I like to remind people, too, is that the money doesn't go to the organization. The money goes to the mission of God. And our organization is on mission with God. So the money might go through us, and the work might go through us, but it's all for the mission of God. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to transition. But before we do, I want to bring it back to Jesus again, that, you know, you you celebrate the Lord's Supper here on Sundays. and just want to remind you that Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper the night before the Passover. It was just during that time of of the calendar year that Jesus is breaking bread and celebrating the Passover with his followers. And what was the Passover? The Passover was God using Moses and Aaron, Miriam, and the midwives, to set the captives free. So this morning as we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, we're remembering the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, but we're also remembering that once we were slaves in the land of Egypt and that Moses helped to bring us out of that slavery, but then Jesus completed the work. So this is, a, this is, this is generations and generations and generations and it's tied to slavery that as you as you come forward this morning to participate you're coming forward in freedom you're not enslaved and so come forward this morning with with thanksgiving and a gratefulness for how God has blessed us abundantly come forward and and take this this symbol into your life the symbol of freedom the symbol of of grace, the symbol of hope and healing. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to transition. Lord, we're so thankful for today. Thankful, God, that you have uh, given us everything we need. Uh, we have had clean drinking water today and um, and breakfast. We've had food to eat, and we're in a safe and secure environment. We have electricity, and um, and it's a beautiful place uh, here in California, and God, we're so thankful that you have um, just blessed us abundantly. And we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We confess that we have we have been lost in the fog, to use a, a, an, an appropriate metaphor for today. We've been lost in the fog, and we've been wanting your light to break through and to lead us. And so we pray, God, that your light would break through, and that your light would lead us into true freedom. If 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 people are here this morning being held back and enslaved by shame or by sin or by you know guilt by alcoholism or by, by pornography or by financial worry. Whatever's holding us back, God, we pray that you would break the chains and set us free. Because we want to be truly free in you. And then we want to, to move into that freedom and invite others to come into that freedom with you as well. And I pray, God, this morning for these things that we've been talking about. We want to be like the midwives. We want to be able to stand up to the powerful. We want to be like, like Miriam. And some of us are privileged. We want to be like the Egyptian princess who, who rescues and helps. Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to follow you wherever you lead us. And so set us truly free. Continue to free us in whatever way that looks like. And and Jesus, we will follow you out into the darkness. We'll follow you into the light. We'll follow you with hope and healing. And we pray for these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.